0: Yeah. Lights, camera, action. We have a very special guest here today. Matty Libatique, cinematographer extraordinaire. One of the greatest directors of photography I've ever had the chance to, to, to collaborate with and work alongside in my capacity. And uh, uh, this is truly an honor. Thank you for coming today, baby.
1: Well full disclosure, we're friends, so uh, and we are thanks friends. For the
0: kind words and thanks we are the kind words, we are friends on top of that exactly so what's going on well, you know let's start off let's start off I don't want to go uh, like into history right now let's start off with uh with 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 where you've been at and and you know we're in the middle of a pandemic, you're home in l a everyone's sort of shut down and. Zooming yeah. in whatever way that they can, I was doing these episodes inside of a podcast studio until this began. Um, what you've been up to and what what's going on and 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 you were able to to finish some stuff beforehand was was there stuff about to start that didn't happen? what's going on in your life right now?
1: most recently, a lot of this man i mean uh, I've been doing classes, a lot of zooming, zooming around um <laughs> Uh, i've done a, a few podcasts but uh t- I've taught classes done some uh q and a's i uh, moderated a panel um, you know i I' just been trying to keep busy stay in it you know you spend so much time uh, at the beginning of this I thought I was on a show we shut down we had three days left, and we shut down rightly so and um i just uh I, you know at first I was like okay I could I could kick back. It was like it was almost like the uh, time between thanksgiving and uh, or the, the time between Christmas and week where nobody calls and you have time to do whatever you want to do, you know, start playing chess again, pick up the guitar again, you know and uh, and at first, it was great. I was reading, but that lasted about three weeks. <laughs> It might not even have lasted that long, man. I'll be honest with you, and I started to go crazy. I, I got some gear, I got some lenses, and I, I, I started shooting stuff at the house. And um, nothing really, you know, nothing with any purpose. I was just, like, doing light studies because I was just trying to, you know, I saw the writing on the wall, and I just said, hey, uh, let's see how fast I could set up a shot on my own. <laughs> so I started doing that, and then that got tired, and then uh, I just started, um, Talking, because you know you spend so much time alone—not alone necessarily, but at home—you have a lot of time to think, and you know all sorts of shit. Uh, you want to apologize to people. <laughs> you want to write your thoughts down. You know, it's like it's like going to rehab. You know, <laughs> and uh um, and it was just it was it just turned into me being able to share some of my experiences with people, and, and that's what I've been doing.
0: And and when you, when you started working, uh, as a cinematographer, um, prior to that, as growing up, you, you had a real background in, in that, that got you like engaged in wanting to be a, a photographer. I, 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 you, you, your, was your, was it your dad? How Tell me a little bit about that story about how that all began.
1: Well, my father, when he got to, uh, uh, when he got to the States, he immigrated. obviously a first generation Filipino. My parents were immigrated in 1966. My dad's first job is in New York as a lab technician at Berkey Film Labs. And, um, you know, he was an avid still photographer, you know, and he would take his uh, Filipino friends and they'd, he'd make them wake up at 5 a.m. and try to catch the light on a George Washington Bridge or the, uh, uh, at the time it was the Triborough Bridge and um you know shoot shots of whatever he could in the best light and, and i didn't really talk that you know until i was about 20 years old when i started looking at slides and i found a, a bunch of slides that he had done. Uh, you know my father passed away at 25 and then i just i started to pour over some of the things he had done and a lot of it's landscape and a lot of it's just sort of city stuff but he was uh he was he was conscious of light and it's not that um but i don't know it was uh and he taught me the basics of photography in terms of uh You know, as a kid, by the time I was 12, I knew, you know, the concept of iris, uh, shutter speed and focus, you know, so I, but it wasn't something I really wanted to do at that time. I mean, I wanted to be a rock star or a baseball player. (laughs) You know what I mean? It wasn't until I got into college that I thought the time could be a big
0: path. I love that. And, and, and when you, before you went to AFI, you weren't even... You were studying, I guess, some communications, but you were you studying to 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 do production at that time in any way at Cal State or not really?
1: No, I mean, I I um, you know what it was? It's like I I was um, I got when I was in, in in university, I started as a psychology major, right? But then as I, uh, I I I met some people who were interested in film, and there was literally a film club that I joined, and um, you know that was it was on after that it was like a, a little bit of a social network of people who had uh, enjoyed films and um you know it was in scott college that i saw I'd do the right thing i saw spikes do the right thing and um i was uh, instantly transformed into somebody who was you know it was inspirational it was a life-changing inspirational moment at the age of uh, tw- you know 19.
0: And you wanted, so, um, it, so you went, then that, that took, changed everything for me. It, it kind of drove you. That then, then was there a break between the two to go to AFI and where things really got ignited, or did you go right? Well, it's just a
1: couple years after that for me. I mean, no, I I graduated <laughs> and um, I didn't get into NYU, <laughs> and uh, I, I uh, which was disappointing. I mean, I wanted to go to the school that Spike Lee went to, right? But I didn't get into NYU, so I ended up taking an internship after uh, undergraduate school at a company that did short films for Showtime, directed by people who were working professionals. Uh, And I just sort of just gravitated towards the camera department because that's what I was interested in, really. You know, um, when I was when I got the bug, I literally I bought a Bell and Howell uh, wind up camera, and. and I, I used an Arri S with the reversal motor. And I started shooting, I wanted to shoot films about petty crimes, thinking that I might be able to submit them to MTV at the time, you know? You know, I'm a, I was a big pop culture guy, and I'm still a big pop culture guy. And, um, but I realized, uh, you know, when I made a film, I used to work at a Tower Records, and I made a film there. Uh, uh, I did two days of, of shooting a film, off hours. I mean, Power Records is famous for being open till midnight. So once midnight happened, I took out the camera and I a doorway dolly and I was doing shots. And I had this actor who I uh, I got from the theater department, and I was making a film about a guy who was a shoplifter. And uh, I never talked to the guy. My producer's like, you know, you don't. I don't think you're a director. <laughs> you're 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 a cinematographer. I'm like, uh, and I didn't. You know, that sort of a uh, I mean, literally, it was where I realized that there's a difference, you know? I thought a filmmaker was a filmmaker, but cinematography is its own thing, and that's what I was attracted
0: to. Well, that's an interesting topic unto itself, because there are so many of your colleagues that have switched into directing but continue to shoot, but but that's not something that you wanted to do. You wanted to stay as the director of photography and continue to – to, to to be be the craftsman of in and, and stay in that lane, not to get out of that lane. And it was not something that you really wanted to do, right? Look, I,
1: I don't have that urge really. You know what 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 is it that would drive me to be a director? I don't I don't know what that would be. You know, I mean I don't have um never really had that urge. As soon as I got this inspiration, it's never left me. You know, and um, all the people who came before me, all the people who have been in my my, my generation, the people behind me and in, in, in the in more recent generations, it's like you pull from them. And it's like you're trying to forward this craft. And I, I've, I'm lucky enough to be a place where I could I could try to forward that craft to this day. I just want to forward the craft. I don't want to be uh, complacent, you know, and um, I really it's a, such a noble profession for me. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, we do what we do, and then we walk away from it. And uh, box office doesn't really mean a whole hell of a lot to me. I don't read the trades. You know what I mean? I just, I do what I do. And I I love that. There's a freedom to it.
0: And one of the things that we've never talked about ever before, but I'm fascinated by is, and I don't know. What haven't haven't we
1: talked about before, Charlie? There's one thing. What haven't we talked about
0: you apparently are a, a, a chef, a, a, a man who enjoys to cook food, and you have uh, 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 the ability to, to make some traditional Filipino things and all of that. There's like a – tell me a little bit about that and about, about your passion for, for, for cooking. And, and the I believe there's a dish that I don't even know what it is, Pinakbet? Pinakbet. Yeah, Pinakbet, yeah. Explain, explain that to me and, and, and what that is and, and, and also your Filipino background because you have sort of a closeness to it that, that is not really part of your, the life that you share uh, in, your, in your regular life and in your working life.
1: Well, I mean, I grew up with the food. You know, uh, up until I, I got into school proper in, uh, uh, in New York and New Jersey, I, I was speaking uh, Tagalog. You know, my parents would speak to me that way and I'd speak it back. And you, and you and, learned um, the
0: language growing up as part of your life.
1: Yeah, but then as I got into school, you know, it was this interesting thing. It's like growing up in the East Coast, you know how it is. It's like, I was called Chinese for, uh, you know, the first, until I was 10 years old. So I was like, you know, damn near the time I left, when my family left the East Coast to come to California. I was called Chinese. And when I got here, it was a different uh, race dynamic, right? But, um, and we never, we didn't have, I didn't live in a Filipino neighborhood. Like when we were in Elmhurst, Queens, where I grew up, where I, where I started, where, where life began, I was, uh, you know, there was some Filipinos, but it was largely, it was, a, it was a populous Asian community, but there was a lot of, you know, you know it was Chinese, it was, you know, a lot of Chinese. So that's why I got pegged as a Chinese person, right? And I never really even fought back on it. I didn't know how to. So, uh, but I, I just held on. I, I just growing up with the food. It's part of my identity. So uh, growing up and leaving home and I just wanted to continue to cook it, you know? So I would ask my mother how to cook this, how to cook that. And it's part of our conversations to this day. No, you're doing it wrong. I'm like, I am, but, you know, the kids like it, you know. And uh, <laughs> I made, I remember making a, there's a dish called arroz which is kind of like a paella, you know, but it's like chicken, ginger, and rice, right? It's super simple. But um, I make it more like a paella, and, and my mother makes it more like a soup. And the traditional way is more like a soup, but I, I make it like a paella, you know, and it's like... Uh, I love that It's it just it's just uh, because of my experience and the people that are around in my life it's like uh it sort of transitions it's like it's got an evolution the food has an evolution
0: it's a good part of the life you know I mean I, I want to take a bit of a right turn because everyone we always talk and we get caught up in in just feature film but a cinematographer Uh, 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 has so many things that they shoot. And one thing that you've done so much of that I have watched a certain amount of over the years, but you don't always point your eyes towards it. So you've done a tremendous amount of music videos and done a lot of work in that going back all the way to the beginning. Talk a little bit about working in music videos and what that was like for you during the, there was really more of a heyday at one time in some of the stuff that you were doing in the at the early portion of, of the, the time that you were shooting music videos and, and the, what was pouring into those and the creativity that went into that?
1: Well, I was, I was fortunate to realize when I was in, uh, I went to the American Film Institute, as you know, met Darren Aronowski day one. Yeah. But when I graduated from uh, AFI, I, I knew that nobody was going to be chasing me to do a movie. You know, it wasn't going to happen. Like, and if it was, it was going to be really, it was going to be a struggle. And I knew that, the, you know, being in Los Angeles, I basically dove head first into music videos. And I, I um, it's funny because when I took that year off between uh, undergraduate school and graduate school, I met these guys at this company I was working at and they ended up having a contract with Pioneer, Pioneer being the company who did, uh, you know, audio equipment and some television equipment, electronics. But they had a they had these laser discs, and we used to make karaokes. So I would take an Aries, and these two guys who were directing them, um, they would literally, we would go to a modeling agent and get, you know, whatever, four models. We'd drive them out to a remote location so they couldn't leave. Everybody was in the same van. And we just shot the shit out of the, uh, you know, uh, you know, we would do like, Four songs in a weekend, which was crazy. But I built a reel out of that, and I just cut my reel, cut my reel, cut my reel. I used to write three-quarter-inch decks and just work on cutting my reel because I knew that I didn't want to uh, pursue feature films, getting out of school because I didn't think it was going to be a livelihood there. So I direct, I just, I just targeted music videos because I had been enamored by it. That was, that was, that was, like I said, like you know, I wanted to present fil- uh, petty crime films to MTV. And MTV was still relevant, and BET became really relevant at the time, too. So, um, you know, I started doing $20,000, uh, $10,000, $20,000, and $30,000 rap videos when I got out, and then that slowly but surely transitioned to working with uh, uh, different directors, and, 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 you know, I never really got, like, I was, when I got uh, out of AFI, I was looking at, like, Matthew Ralston, you know, I was looking at Josh Taft, I was looking at Kevin Kerslake and Spike Jones and these guys. I never worked with any of those guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, I, I you know, I worked, I worked with like Darren Grant and uh, Chris Robinson, Paul Hunter. Because that was my generation of people, right? So uh, and Little X and uh, you know, you there's a bunch of guys we were doing and it was a it was an explosion at that time. And and all of a sudden we were doing going from twenty five thousand dollar videos, all of a sudden we were doing a you know, uh, five hundred thousand dollar videos a million dollar uh, budget videos. I mean, it was crazy. Like I, you know, I look back at the time It's probably the happiest I've ever been. Like I had, I was young and uh, the the, the world was blowing up and we would see our work, I'm almost immediately on television. And there was a satisfaction to it that uh, I don't know that people get today because there's a satisfaction to the work, but there's also a satisfaction to people seeing new shit.
0: Yeah, no, 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 I mean that whole, that whole arena, I, I always think of, of, of the journey of having to do what we do, as to find the thing that can keep us working, when there's not a a long format project happening, commercials, music videos, shooting stuff all the time or as much as possible, right? Because it's the whole it's the whole practice of the craft and everything that you do, but Absolutely. it allowed you to play and it allowed you to do things. That, that you could take with you. And that kind of leads me to another spot that's really, to me, like sort of the emblem of, 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 of your life, really, for, from, from where I stood, having worked in the lab myself. Um, the, 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 the world of cinematographers uh, had not a large population of, 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 of DPs that, that experimented photochemically. Colleagues of yours like Malik Saeed, Harris Savitas, Bob Richardson, Ellen Curris, Darius Kanji. The the list is not a huge and long list, but a list of people who were using photochemical techniques, some of which in the case of Harris he took from Still, that would then lead the way to experimenting with skip leech, cross-processing photochemical techniques that that were daring and 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 sometimes risky but with but with incredible photochemical results and incredible uh uh uh, images that you were able to create and use in 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 films and 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 you know i i go back to when we i mean i know i've harped on this so many times but those scenes in inside man when you shot Uh, the interrogation scenes, they were shot on reversal and then you you cross-processed but you also skipped the bleach on those and all of that, right? I mean, it was like the the exposure range, the narrowness of what you needed to do to nail it was tiny, right?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, um, you know, before Inside Men, I had done a a film called Gothica. Gothica, exactly. um, With Halle Berry, uh, directed by Matthew Kasovich and... um, you know, back then, for me, when you test, you're testing everything. Like any idea you have, in test. And especially that was what was fun about the film days, is that okay? I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna. I learned this from Ed Lockman, uh, who is a mentor, friend, and uh, a lifelong friend. He, you know, he would do overs and unders, so he could see if he could, like, how much he can get away with in the lows and how much he can get away with in the highs, right? And I, and I, that's where I start every test. At least back in the film days, I used to start every test with lows and highs, like underexposure and overexposure. Like, how much can I get away with three stops over? How much can I get away with at uh, 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 three stops under or four stops under? And I would, do one, I would do one print where I would have them time it so that everything, just time it at one light so we could see how dark it was, you know. But then I would do another print where I would uh, print up everything had to match the base to see what happened. If I was two stops under and we brought it up, it was I right, was two stops over and brought it down, obviously there's, you, could, you could expect uh, results. You could expect contrast when you're overexposed. You could expect uh, a milkiness when you're under, right? Yeah. So I was testing stuff like, uh, 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 you know, because I had shot pie in the reversal, I was intrigued. And, and, and because Malik had shot clockers in Ectochrome. That's right. I was... On that movie, I was really interested in, um, okay, let, what if I did both? But what if I cross-processed it and then Bleach bypassed it?
0: Incredible. And
1: I, I, we, at the test, when everybody was at the test on Gothica, people thought I was fucking out of my mind. Yeah. The studio was there. They're like, what the fuck are you thinking of doing? You know, and, um, I mean, obviously I look at the thing and I'm like, how it looks like a ghost. And I'm like, I'm not, I, I can't do this. But I wanted to see what it looked like. I just was, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately I had a whole room of people that didn't understand it. I was just trying to test shit. But then I remembered, it's like, there was a, there, like every time you do something uh, on one thing that doesn't work, you could use it again. So when Spike said, you know, what, what could we do for this? You know, working with Spike, he's, like, he, he's so brave. About everything, you know. What do you want to do here? What do you want to do there? And I said, "Well, these interrogation scenes kind of float, you know. We don't know where they are in the in the in the linear telling of this story, right?" Let's just—I have an idea, and I'm gonna show it to you.
0: And we ended up doing that. And um, And there was massive massive overhead light, and it and and it kind of became, and the image became kind of steamy looking. And and really otherworldly, so different and so striking against the other stuff. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, I have to say that you know um, what I had learned is that you know
1: when you when you're dealing with look, I, I learned. I also like I would listen to stories. Like hey, I'm a student of the game. You know when I hear somebody who worked with Janusz Kaminski after uh, doing, uh, I'm trying to remember the film that he bypassed. I think it was his film. I think he the one he directed. I'm thinking to myself, there are things that I can learn. And this is like reading American Cinematographer and being a geek about cinematography. You know, I knew that I had to flood the place with light. If I had shot that on a regular negative, it would look flat as hell. But I knew I needed to give it some light.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, no. That was incredible. And it was like this 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 very sort of steamy looking image but it but the everything about it was was so stark and so amazing looking and so fantasy looking and well the
1: contrast the contrasting color was given by the cross process i mean by the by the reversal right and the but then the bleach bypass is what you're speaking to the bleach bypass gave it that glow that sort of silver retention glow right
0: yeah Incredible. But
1: you know the thing is, you know what's funny about that man? I, I you, when you talk about Harris and Darius and all, it all came from Storaro.
0: Storaro. He's Storaro, the
1: first guy who did ENR.
0: Storaro is the first guy who did ENR with the inventor uh, Ernesto Novelli Rico at Technicolor Rome. Right. And and, but that process, in all fairness, in in its founding, was a safer process because it originated with a print process that they that they influence the photochemically you guys were playing with negative
1: yeah well we didn't you know uh, a a lot of us couldn't afford at that stage by the time the movie gets into post-production and you know this man all of a sudden there's other voices that come into the the operation so what you had planned like workflow it was a little different back then oh yeah Actually, you know, I mean, workflow is actually something to talk about in general. Like, workflow is something to be established based on the intent. But, it never, you know, it, it only happens with the people who know how to follow shit through all the way from beginning to end, right? Right. So, um, uh, I remember, uh, here's another story. I remember um, I really wanted to do a kind of uh, e E&R and type. What was deluxe's l- l- version of it? I forgot the name of it. I
0: it was called... A CCE color cra- color contrast. Right. that was that's what Darius used on David Fincher Seven.
1: Right. Yeah. So I wanted he to use it using on using phone, phone booth. Yeah. You wanted to and use it the, the, which one? On on phone booth. Oh, on
0: with phone with um, with Joel Schumacher. With Joel Schumacher. Okay.
1: And I, I got to the I, well, by the time I get to the end, I was told no by the studio by Fox that that wasn't going to happen. But Beverly Wood, who I love you know another great advocate like you an advocate of our craft yeah um an ambassador too and uh, you know she just because she's a chemist she just figured out a way to uh you know uh give me a little bit of that effect without having uh fox have to pay for it you know i mean she just found a way a chemist a chemical way to sort of she won't tell me exactly maybe if i call her now she'll tell me <laughs> yeah not that um, not back then no no but it was cool like it was that, that's the thing it's like, that's a, the, the beauty of labs back then was that um you build a relationship and it's just like and they get you you know when when the lab got you it was like as a cinematographer it was like the place i'll never forget i mean i i, I learned from the greats. it's like when you don't want to go to the office when you're prepping you're like i'm at the lab <laughs>
0: you know, <it's> like... <laughs> so true, though. And then, and then, when you think about it, it's like, you know, what you got a chance to do back then. I think about, and I think about Ed as well, because uh, when I think about Ed, and I think about even when I once when I worked with Tak Fujimoto and what he said to me during a production, he 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 knew that there was going to be a process to grind through it at the end. And there was a look that the director wanted. But but, Tak always said to me, it's in the negative. What I did is in the negative. And he was so confident about what he had and what he had built all the way through and the consistency that he had built. And I always think of when Ed did uh, 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 the film Far From Heaven for Todd Haynes, and you right. saw how the spectacular color palette in that film, I mean, I'm a geek about this as well, for sure, as you know, but when people see that, and then you tell them, oh yeah, that was that was photochemical, that wasn't done digitally at all like, yeah. and, and people like look at you with their jaw dropped like, how and i I'll tell t- I'll t- I'll t- you how this is done by by a, a cinematographer who understood. Every aspect of his pipeline, from the filter he put on his lens to the glass he used, to the way in which he enabled light and and, and what he did and in, 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 in the consistency of what he shot and how he captured color through either time of day for exteriors or 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 in control and interiors. And it was just absolutely. Uh, uh, spectacular, and once again, that that saying still applies. It's in the negative, you know. Yeah. And 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 that's to me the magic because right now we go to a, a, a world where 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 we had to live through a bit of a bumpy ride at the beginning of digital capture. Obviously, not anymore to that extent. Right. But in terms right. Of 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 color science and all that you guys are constantly challenged and, and it's funny, people say, well, you know, cinematography has been taken over by digital technology. I totally disagree. Cinematography has been taken over by the creative artistry of cinematographers and people who work with them in post. It's, it it's shifted, but, uh, it's, it the craft is, is actually became more complex in many ways, not less.
1: Well, we have to uh, uh, each film. Like I like to say, each film is custom made, and we have to redefine the workflow based on the movie. What uh, what is uh, the thing to fight when you're at a level where you're dealing with um, uh, companies, say, studios, who want to streamline their workflow? I think that becomes a problem because uh, you know you 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 lose the ability to make a custom made film, you know. And uh workflow is something to pay attention to. The, the modern DP has to pay attention to workflow. You know, you, you need to uh, figure out your lookup table. You need to track it through, through your dailies colorist, and then track it through and make sure it's impl- uh, implemented in your final colorist, right? When you add, you just, uh, you know, you got, it, it's just paying attention to it. And then there's a the whole aspect of visual effects, right? That we have to pay attention to and be a part of in post. Uh, Not that it takes up all our time, because you know, if we're lucky, we're working on something else. But we have to pay attention, and because we have to be responsible for our the visuals uh, when the film is finished. You know what I mean? It's like there's so many things. There's more things to keep track of now than ever. And um, and it's really, uh, I wouldn't say it's a burden. It's just a responsibility. Absolutely.
0: It's a big responsibility, and there's a lot of time spent on it. The old answer print process was weeks of work, one print after another, until you nailed it. The DI process is a journey. Um, it is. And, and I got to open
1: up, Charlie. It's a little dark. I, I'm looking at those little image. I got <laughs> yeah. to open up.
0: You got to open up. You got to open up. There we go, baby. Yeah, there
1: we go. That's a good. third of a stop at a
0: time. Let me tell you, I, I always pre-light before, so I, I put a lamp near me, so I get that. I use
1: natural light, man. That's a new way.
0: Well, I like that better, but in my scenario, my living rooms. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. So, I want to wind the clock back when you met Darren, because I had forgotten. Like, you you know that I've known Darren since he was a student at Harvard. I worked on his first films when, when he was directing.
1: That's our connection, Charlie. That's our, our connection. That's how you and you I met. It.
0: But – you did a film with him at AFI that I is one of the shorts that Darren made that I never saw, which became the basis for the name of his company, protozoa. And, uh, and, and that was probably shot on, was it shot on 16 or 35? I've never seen it. Um, do you remember anything about it?
1: I'm not going to tell anything about what we shot on. It's embarrassing, but, it's uh, embarrassing. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, here's a bit, bit of a story. You know, um, in the way AFI works in your first year, I, first of all, I met Darren the first day. We we're sitting in the front row. He was next to me, and I remember this other guy, Roberto Fonseca, and he was a Spanish uh, director. And those are the people who were flanking me on each side, by, just by chance, by chance. You know what I mean? And, um, and we were there day one, and we were screening everybody's submission. This is crazy. They're screening everybody's submission to get into the school, right? And I all my shit was on Super Eight, like you know. But Darren's is on sixteen, and by far the most impressive piece of work uh, of the entire class. I mean, you're talking about twenty-eight directors, twenty-eight cinematographers, twenty-eight uh, 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 right, uh, twenty-eight uh, producers, right? Did he, he show? Did about, he show Supermarket Sweep? That's exactly right. Did he show? He showed a clip from Supermarket Sweep. Which you had a part in. This is where, I, I that's was, where the connection is.
0: I was involved on, on all of those early, early works. This is where the connection is, right? So yeah.
1: um, anyway, I was just like blown away by it. So uh, cut, uh, smash cut forward and, you know, at AFI at the first year, at least at my year, you did three projects, right? And they called them cycle projects. In cycle one, you had a limited group of people to choose from. And uh, I was in a group. I ended up working with this woman who, who was very odd, um, Pamela Corky, who I loved. But I made a very whacked out, like, uh, 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 like a 50s fetishized uh, uh, homemaker movie. It was, it was crazy. Like, she was totally bizarre, right? And I gravitated to the people who had the biggest ideas. But I love Darren and I wanted to work because we all have to, as cinematographers, we have to crew for other cinematographers. And I wanted to, Darren's DP asked me to operate. And Darren said no because I didn't have enough experience. Yeah, he, <laughs> he wanted, he wanted somebody with more experience. Yeah, no. this is a true story. So when it came to the second cycle, which was a director-driven cycle, and what that meant was a director could write the script and direct his script. And Darren asked me to uh, do Protozoa. And when he came up to me, I said, Well, I'm thinking about two other things, man. I'll get back to you. You know. And you know Eric Watson. You remember Eric Watson, the producer, of course. right? Of course. Okay, so Eric was there too, because that's what Protozoa is. Basically him and you know, Eric, Darren, and loosely me, right? I mean, dude, it was like Eric came up to me one day. In an ill fitted suit, because that's how he was back then. And he was just like, Yo, uh, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, Yeah, man, what's up? He's like, Darren really wants you to make this, you know, make our cycle project. like, What do you got going on? And I'm like, I, I, you know, I got a couple things. Bullshit. It's like, you know, you want to work with Darren, you know? He's like, I'm, st- I'm still, I said, I'm still pissed at that motherfucker, you know, for not letting me operate on his fucking movie. And Eric Watson convinced me, he's like, you're fucking being ridiculous. You're letting your pride get in the way. And then I ended up saying yes. And that's how I shot that film. And um, and it was cool. Like, I, you know, we hit it up. It like, I knew we would, I was just pissed at of though. You know, I'm thinking I was lesser than I was. Let's I'm not- sorry for that beef, but I'm sorry for that beef. I don't know how to turn that shit up. I'm on a computer.
0: Yeah, no, it's hard. We we get interference on these that come. I I try to turn as much off as I can, but I get the same. Um, I apologize. No worries. But uh, Pi, really unusual uh, process shooting black and white reversal and ending up with a 35 print in the end that had to go through a whole series of iterations to make an interpositive. Or internegative in that case, because it was a, a, a reversal a shot project and had to Sinneric. be 35. Sonaric did that. I had to go through uh, a, a Gufani. And it was, uh, it was a very uh, a, a, a complex process because you guys were shooting uh, before Super 16 existed. And yet, you. But were, it was regular sixteen. It was that's regular. That's what I'm 16. saying. It was regular. It was double perforated. Right. Regular sixteen, normally composed square for four three, but you composed for 185 one eight in the end. One right? six six. One, one six six. One, one six six. To to have a theatrical presentation, and you blew it up, and 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 that whole process um, was was a uh, was a, 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 a quite a quite a feat to get through to the end on that. Talk a little bit about how that, how that worked out and what that was like and doing and shooting that and reviewing it and figuring out how to get to the end on that, because it really worked out amazingly in the end, but it was a, that was a hard process.
1: You know, that, that film was, a uh, uh, the lessons from that movie have uh, lasted with me to this day. And this is why, uh, well, when I got there, when I got to New York, um, Darren and Eric moved to uh, New York uh, about, you know, maybe a year or a year and a half before I got there. And uh, they were prepping this film. And um, bugged out script, like Darren does, you know. <laughs> and uh, when we got there, we were prepping the movie. It's like I knew, I just being a DP or a cinematographer, You know we didn't have time we didn't have uh the crew we didn't have the money uh to get gels to balance out color temperatures back then you had to be really you know uh if i was going to shoot uh if i was going to shoot color it was going to be you know gelling windows or bringing in hmis it wasn't like we had leds Kino wasn't even really a possibility for us at that time because it wasn't readily available yet it was it was when Kino flows we're starting to move into the uh, forefront before uh, pre-LED and um, you know post-tungsten. So I literally shipped over a Home Depot set of lights to get there. You know, I built lights that I could use because I knew that I wasn't going to have anything. And we were able to get from Broadway uh, Stages uh, Luna Light uh, Luna Lighting in uh, in um, uh, the Great borough of Queens, uh, Long Island City. We were able to get a, a small package and my biggest light was a two K. And we knew we had limitations and I knew we had limitations, so we talked about black and white, right? But not until we saw Let's Get Lost by Bruce weber
0: Yeah, great
1: uh, film. Great film processed at, at 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 the great old uh uh Sarley Miss Bono Labs. Bono Labs Remember them? Right. and um we wanted to do that. You realize, okay, we, Maddie, we, wrote, we went black and white.
0: Your audio, your audio is a little, a little, a little fractured coming in. It's a little. Is it? Are you talking through the computer or through your your, your earphones? Through your earphones.
1: My earphones. Let me just check that out real quick. Let yeah, me. the audio.
0: I just want to make sure I get clean audio. Sorry to interrupt you, bro. No, 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 no.
1: I'm just uh maybe I got to switch to a different. Um...
0: If you go to if you go to computer audio, which is what I'm using. Are you on a, You're on a laptop, right? Or are you on a phone?
1: Yeah, I'm on a, a laptop.
0: Yeah, just go to computer audio. I'm, I'm starting to hear a little bit of whatever it is, and I don't know if it's because it's coming through the blue. Is it through the Bluetooth or something? I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's through Bluetooth.
0: Yeah, let's go computer audio. Sorry. Okay. Just give me a little technical direction. We'll, we'll, we'll skip right back to our, our, our story about uh, working with uh, – yeah, go ahead. How does that sound? That sounds awesome. Now I hear you perfectly.
1: Okay, sorry about that.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: What I was saying was that what I learned from that film was that uh, the limitations, the box that was created for us uh, made us make creative decisions. Like how could we take what we didn't have and make it something we do have, right? We we chose black and white because we didn't have the ability to, uh, uh, you know, control color temperature. But then we chose Reversal after being inspired by Let's Get Lost and a film called Colorado Cowboy by Arthur Elgort. Um, those films made us realize that we could shoot Reversal. You know, did I know how to shoot Reversal? Hell no. You know, and I was still young. I, mean, I was, you know,
0: It was low light sensitivity, was it not? You were working with a low ASA at that time on that, on that Reversal. or I don't know, though. You tell me. We mixed it
1: between Tri-X and Plus-X. Mm-hmm. you know the plus x was cleaner the triax was grainier, and the triax was like more volatile to me you know in terms of artificial light because we used triax when we were inside and literally i had a collection of like mr16s and par 20s and small globes that i put in home depot lights that i was laying max's apartment with you know so it was all hard light uh here and there and um i wasn't really uh uh you know, as I was doing incident readings at the time, I, 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 I've since transitioned to uh, all reflective, but um, what was interesting about that is, uh, you know, I just, I had a, basically I had a hardware store lighting kit and, um, and I had a reversal film and the results are what they are because, you know I mean? And I, you know, it's stylized that way because we knew we didn't have something. You know, there's a lot we didn't have, so but we wanted to stylize. Darren and I've always wanted to stylize every every movie in some certain way, but we always applied our technique. Uh, We've always we you know coming up from AFI, we've always tried to apply the technique that we've decided on appropriately to each you know to each narrative.
0: And then and then uh, 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 the next film is this incredible production, Requiem for a Dream, and 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 that's like 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 absolutely uh uh a uh, 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 a greater budgeted project with lots of visual challenges certainly limitations i'm sure with budget but but a lot more on hand to be able to do what you needed to do and absolutely stunning looking with great effects and beautiful film
1: well one thank you um but you know we we're young you know we put a, we put a lot of sugar in the coffee you know what I mean? there was a lot going on um and we, you know, things that I had learned, things that I had been inspired by, by uh, and Darren too, by things we've seen in short form, uh, music videos, things that people were doing, techniques like the uh, motion control uh, stuff we did. And the, um, even, you know, carrying over the story cam over from Pi to, uh, to Requiem and each, having each character sort of uh, have a shot that sort of signified that uh, a moment of importance. And then just um, applying a language of color temperature and, and, and general hue in the terms of seasons. Like if the film is marketed by, it is, 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 is starts in summer, transitions to fall and goes into winter. You know what I mean? We just, we, we gave a you and a general feeling to each one of those things. And it was a perfect storm of ideas really. And we were at an, um, you know, at, at, even at a young age, we had found that we want to apply our techniques appropriately. So there's a lot of that shit going on. And, you know, from a, a you know, a geek standpoint, I had, uh, you know, between Pi and Requiem, I, I had discovered the, uh, the, the ability to uh, of reflective reading. So that changed everything, you know, um, but you know, another film, I did a film called, um, uh, Saturn, which is now called uh, Speed of Life, uh, I think, out there in the world. But it was a film that was uh, uh, directed by a classmate of ours, Rob Schmidt, and it was in New York. It was when, um, it was when Brooklyn was Brooklyn, and when you went to uh, you know, Grand or Metropolitan in Williamsburg, it smelled like oil. <laughs> you, know, you, know? you know, and then it was like, uh, and we, we shot in a warehouse full of rats, and uh, the production designer, the same guy who did, ended up doing Reckoning for a Dream, James Chinlin, great, amazing production designer. And he built this geodesic dome, you know, inside this warehouse space. And I, I just, I had discovered uh, Chunking Express. You know what I mean? And I was inspired by uh, the naturalism of it. And then I just, that was a jumping off point for me. And I took that experience into Reckoning for a Dream.
0: And then, you, 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 you did a whole bunch of stuff with Darren. We'll go on to that after. But then you, you collided with Spike. Talk about your first time working with Spike Lee and how that, how that, came, how that came to be and, it was, and your first film.
1: You know, it's funny. I, when I got a call, I used, to get, I used to have this joke with my agent at the time. Like, every time I said, guess who called? I would always say David Lynch. And she's like, uh, no, it wasn't David Lynch. And then one day she called and she said, guess who called? It's like David Lynch. It's like Spike Lee. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're kidding me. He's like, no. Spike Lee wants to meet you tomorrow. I'm like, tomorrow? He's like, I'm sending you the script now. And back then it was an email. It was, you know, it was a paper script delivered to the house. And I read it. And I just sat there laying on the floor reading the script. And like, I don't care what the script is. I'm going to like it, period. Right? It was a film called She Hate Me. She hates Me. Exactly. Spike. Yeah. And I meet Spike and I'm like, uh, and, and um, I, you know, I had this experience and and, and, and I, I had this experience meeting Billy Friedkin before that. I met him for a movie that he was doing. And, um, you know, obviously Billy Friedkin was a hero, but there was like, uh, you know, there was stuff to eat. I had heard uh, how he treated a good friend of mine, Derek, Derek Walski on his previous film. And I was just like, you know, I don't know if I can deal with this kind of scenario. I, you know, I'm just not ready for that. You know, I'm not ready for uh, constant criticism. and I don't, I'm not ready for that kind of uh, volatility. And so I was like, but I was prepared. Like, that taught me something going into my Spike meeting, because Spike is a hero, is that, like, you can't deify a person you're meeting with. You got you to, gotta, you know, you're walking in as a collaborator. You're not walking in as a fan, you know. So I walked in uh, to a meeting, and he couldn't be more cool. And just talking to him, and you know, I, I could have spent uh, two hours talking about the New York Knicks. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, and and it was just like it was just it was really fluid, very easy, and uh, I never felt any pressure from him. Like, I, you know, his his personality, even though you know he is such a large personality in our world, pop culturally, he couldn't be more cool, right? And um, we ended up making the film together. And then building a relationship. And uh, I'm really, really happy to call him friend. And,
0: and He gave you the ability to kind of in your in, in, in your years of doing stuff together, he gave you the ability to kind of be the the creative, take-it-home supervising the, the look, right? I mean, he he there was a real secondhand, a real trust.
1: Well, you know yeah. what I realized about him, and, um, like, before I met him, I had already met uh, Malik. I shot a commercial for Malik, and I, then I ended up making a film with Ernest.
0: Right, with Ernest Dickerson. Die yeah.
1: Alone yeah. With uh, DMX. So I had some experience around people who've been around him, you know. So, and I knew from both those guys, they're, they're, uh, they're fearless. Both Ernest and Malik are fearless fearless cinematographers. And, um, you know, their influences go far beyond uh, commercial filmmaking. You know Absolutely. what I mean? So, so, you know, just being around Malik and being around Ernest, I felt, I felt I knew that Spike was going to support ideas. And when we made She Hate Me, of course, uh, you know, I was, I was in uh, uh, reverence to whatever he wanted to do with the camera. If you wanted to use three cameras for a scene, let's use three cameras for a scene. If you want to use one camera for a scene, we're going to use one camera for a scene. But I, I was also, um, I knew that he respected the craft. And he does. He respects the craft of cinematography. He's hes an encyclopedia of film. And he respects that craft and he, what it brings to each and every one of his ventures. So I knew that. And that gave me, gave me comfort and made me comfortable around him. And it was uh, it was really, you know, I, I can't say enough, it's like having a like working and uh, collaborating with the guy who actually inspired you to actually get into the business was bananas <clears throat> you know exactly but then we made inside Man after that, and it was just like we were on par. we were like uh, you know two collaborators exactly
0: right yeah and 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 during this whole stream of films with. With, with, with both of them, you, you had the chance to do several films with Joel Schumacher. How did that relate <coughs> to tonight? And how did that happen?
1: I love Joel. You know, he... he character. Yeah. On the power of pie, he asked me to do a film called Tiger Net. On the power of pie. You know, and... Um, it just... When you work with somebody who has been around so long, it, there's no... You know, it has no fear. You know, no fear at all. Like, it was the first time I ever saw somebody just cross shit off a script and said, we don't need this. (laughs) You know, you know what? Cut these two lines out. We're going to do this. I mean, he was just, he was just like fluid, you know, making the movie and just making decisions and being the boss. Nobody was telling him what to do. You know, I was just like, I was astounded. I'm like, I never seen anything like that. And, um. I mean, honestly, man, you know, he's uh, he's he's like uh, right up there for me in my career about people who I respect the most because, you know, he not only has he seen everything, he'll never tell a story that's inappropriate to, you know, to uh, to disparage anybody. One, two, he never tells the same story twice. Every time he tells a story, it's a new one you've never heard before because the guy has so many goddamn stories to tell, you know, okay. about, about what he's been through. So I um, – as, and as a filmmaker, uh, you know, he's a different kind – he's a different cat. Like, he really – you know, he wants to get – he always just said to me, he's like, let's get, let's get the meat and potatoes, and then we can start to play. And I, he kind of taught me the idea that you need to uh, be malleable as a cinematographer. Because, like, you know, when we were more taught as DPs, we're going to shoot the wide shot first, and then we're going to go into coverage. It's an old-school way of working, and I don't think – I don't know who works that way anymore, right? But um, Joel's like – he just had – like, he changed the way he worked based on the project. He was the most malleable man I ever met. You know what I mean? He didn't have a set way. Like, he was different on Tigerland, he was different on number 23, and he was different on phone booth it was he was as malleable as a cinematographer and i think it comes from the fact that he actually was a crew member as a costume designer as an art director right you know what i mean as a writer as a director he's done different shit like he's done it in different ways he just knows how dp thinks and works and like you know i mean he brought like he brought andre barkovia out, right that's right so, and, and Andre is fucking amazing. Like he, just, he brought Andre Markowiak into the uh, American cinematic world.
0: Yeah.
1: Like you got to give this dude credit. He, takes, he took chances from day one, right? And I don't think he gets enough respect. But, but I, I do. I, I love the man.
0: No, great him. man. Wonderful man. I have uh, spent long, long periods with him uh, 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 over the years at, at our, our old stomping ground in Poland. Um <laughs> where the he... wisdom, the whole idea of wisdom, I remember that remember
1: that when him and Barkowiak were on that panel. I was sitting in the audience, yeah, and I was just like, I was just uh, I love seeing it because i'm I'm watching cinematic history. It's
0: what it is, exactly right. the problem yeah. is you will know, tell you that Charlie, I'm gonna have one complaint. what's there that was snobbery in that crowd there was
1: you know yeah I mean yeah, well I mean just in sense it's like everybody's like you know it. it I love international films, and that's what I love about that festival, right? But give right. some fucking respect to the man that brought you, like, uh, Lost Boys, right? Falling down. Right on. You know what I mean? It's like, break, give, give some fucking respect to the man who just, who's just been through everything. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I just didn't feel
0: that. That, um, that Camry Mosh did that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just didn't feel it. And and you you've done this wonderful career choice that I think is so important as a part of who you are as a cinematographer throughout your career to go from a fairly super high well these super high budgets of the Favreau films that you've done to then going and doing like a film like Native Son which is a lower budget independent film and and you 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 go back and forth and do that and you've been able to 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 make those choices and you continue to make those choices obviously we all we all work for for the opportunity to 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 balance out what we're going to make on our projects but you've always offered yourself out to lower budget projects even in recent years in your in your career and uh and that's uh that's sort of been a choice right
1: it's been a choice the whole time. I mean, I, I patterned my career, uh, you know. Early on, I said I, I want to be like Ed. You know what I mean? Right.
0: Like Ed. Lachman. I want to be like
1: Ed Lockman. I want to be able to gravitate from country to country. I want to be able to gravitate to, from uh, budget to budget, and story to story. You know, and uh, he—he's uh, not only a friend but a hero, like Spike, and um, you know, and Owen Roisman, the great—the great Owen Roisman, like just his diversity. You know what I mean? He's not always looking to do the same goddamn thing.
0: Right. I don't want
1: to do the same goddamn thing. You know and, what I mean? And,
0: and, with, and we, we talked a little bit about this with Ed. Ed, Ed was sort of the, the, the mentor for so many DPs and so many great cinematographers that have come out since on their own. Talk a little bit about, about the, the time you spent at having the opportunity to work under him, right, at a certain points, right, or with him, correct?
1: Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hey, Charlie, can we take one break? I got to take a piss.
0: Go take a piss. <laughs> Go take a piss. We at it. Yo. We're back. My man. I'll be back.
1: Say, hey, hey, I, I remember the question. is about working with Ed as a...
0: Um... Working with Ed and, and, and also, in a sense, what... Because, you know, Ed's career spans a lot of directors and a lot of artists that he's worked with, but he's been sort of kind of the foundation for a lot of careers for cinematographers. I, I, I liken him to what D.D. Allen was in editing. I mean, if you worked for D.D. Allen uh, at some point uh, in, in your career after years of going under that apprenticeship and working as an assistant, you, you, had, you had a toolbox to go ahead and, 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 and kind of uh, uh, really launch uh, a career of your, of your own. I mean, not, not that that was your relationship with Ed, but it was his relationship with many D.P.'s.
1: Right. Well, I mean, uh, uh, there's a, a, a tree that he's created of people who worked with him on his cruise that have become cinematographers, you know, myself, Richard Likowski, uh Stefan Chopsky, um, Tom Siegel. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people. There's a, there's a lot of people. And, um, and there's more. You know, I'm, I'm missing some people right now. But I mean, honestly, um, nobody, you know, I, I remember I was uh, I was at AFI, actually. It was my second year. And in the second year of AFI, you're basically making your thesis film. There's not a whole lot of uh, instruction. Um, and it's pretty fluid, but I, uh, I got a call to do uh, some work. And um, Richard Rutkowski, who was his focus boy at the time, called me and said, hey, I, I want to introduce you to uh, Ed, Ed Lachman. And um, I knew a little bit about him, but as I got to know him, I, was, I couldn't, uh, it was unbelievable what the man had already done at that time. I mean, I'm 21 years old, 22 years old. And the guy had already accomplished so much. you know, uh, Werner Herzog, for example, yeah. like, you know, less than zero, you know what I mean? Like he'd done stuff that like was just, he hadn't really gotten credit for. And it was before cinematographers really, you know, uh, uh, noticed by general public. Right. And, um, but he's like, God, he's just he's just really I can't say enough about him. Like he's um for those of of anyone who views this that doesn't know, go watch as many films that Ed Lockman shot as you can and you watch the mastery of this man, you know, and watch his evolution because he he also evolves. Like you watch lesson zero and then you watch something like The Limey. The fucking Limey is incredible. Like, yeah. and then he was far from heaven, like you said. I mean, yeah. Carol, you know, like, uh, he, what were you there? Remember, remember when we were at a uh, camera image and um, yeah, he won for Carol,
0: yeah, and 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 I yeah. cried, dude.
1: I don't know about you, but I cried. <laughs>
0: that was beautiful, and 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 you know, I when I look at that film and and the shots through the windshield and the lights coming towards the, the through the windshield into the lens and. All of the play that he did, and the feeling of 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 what the moment was like, everything that, about what he was capturing made you feel like you were in in the moment. You were in the car. You were driving. I mean, it was just beautiful, you know. Uh, yeah, he, he's one, one
1: of the most uh, um, um, emotionally intelligent cinematographers I ever met my life,
0: and a, and a and a guy who 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 keeps a, what I would call a. Uh, a photo principle um, and, and photography, cinematography, photochemistry, every aspect of, of knowing the, the, the possibilities and, 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 and the, and, and what can be done. He, he, he was constantly uh, upping his game throughout his career, always doing always. And, and, and then when he speaks about, the effect of it, even when he would talk about the effect and the reasons, like I remember when we were going through the transition to digital capture and, and he was talking about what film meant to him. Cause I remember when I, when I worked with Keanu, when we did, when we did side by side, there was that whole, there was that whole sort of leave film behind movement that kind of faded actually in recent years with film coming back. But, but the, the idea of what the, what the the emotional experience of seeing uh, uh, a film, and, and what what the the photochemical process, and what the process of seeing projected film did for uh, 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 people going to a to a movie, and 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 he just dove into wanting to really capture uh, uh, in 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 what he would describe as 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 what the what the difference was and what it really meant even, even for everything that would ultimately be shown digitally, what the difference was to have something captured on a on, on negative and what negative meant. Yeah.
1: Well, it's interesting too. I mean, I, you know, uh, we talk about uh, a person like Harris who underexposed like, uh, you know, um, famously underexposed. Well, it was,
0: it was, I, I remember being there when we were working with him and, 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 and seeing how far down he would go, to create right. the, the to, to change and lower the contrast. I mean, it was incredible.
1: Well, Ed would, Ed doesn't do that. Like Ed would, uh, whatever a midlight would be, you know, at, at a certain point, a midlight, and this is going to be an esoteric conversation for people know, who okay. don't know. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it used to be a 35, right? Right. Mid, but then it, it became a 40 at some point. Stocks changed and whatever changed and all of a sudden 40 kind of became a mid like I don't know why I don't know how you know I don't know if bass changed or what but well, Ed was always overexposed it was the way he did it but his results were always different his results were always different and he went about it the same way as a technician right he he knew what he was doing based on the way he he did it differently like I do it differently than him. Based on because I'm uh, I love experimentation, and I'm I'm, I you know I was inspired by Harris too, and I'm inspired by Ed. But like Ed would religiously overexpose, right, and bring it down. Right. But he knew if he wanted something soft, he knew how to make it soft based on lighting, filtration. But he was always going to give that negative a certain weight, right? Whereas like Lance Accord and Harris Savides. These guys are gonna give it like they're gonna make it as thin as fuck. And I'm sure and Gordon probably was the godfather of that, but no pun intended. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like of making a negative thin.
0: Right, right. right. I mean the the principles were were that our 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 RGB lights were between zero and sixty and and the you know and the the old the old idea that the middle was was thirty or or twenty-five, you know, you 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 were you, you you had a you had range going up and down and stops, and it was, uh, and it was uh, 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 definitely the rule of thumb. You're dating yourself right now. You just said, yo, you just said <laughs> you just
1: said 25. I mean, I know what you're saying. When I was in 20, school, 25, 25, was 25, 25 was the midlife.
0: 25 across.
1: That was Right, 25 across. But by the time I was a professional, by the time I got paid to do this, it was 30-something in the 30s. Right. How'd that shit happen? You know what I mean? That was crazy, man. I have to say, it's like nobody talks about that, and I guess it's not really important right now.
0: But like, it had had a little bit to do with with what the labs decided to do against the manufacturers. It wasn't just about Kodak. Right. I mean, unfortunately, you know, it was it was a bit of a game. But Kodak set standards according to their own photochemical idea and their own and their own control. Right. And then when labs decided to play around they changed what the middle was but right. agreed but the middle was important because range is important yeah. but but all of this stuff is is our uh, principles that as i talked to a guy like ed as a great example when he, he talks about uh, a shooting and talking to the lab and asking and asking for his his lights And then now working with labs that are not printing anymore and don't have an analyzer, he was ranting at me just this past December about how he would send film into the current lab that's here in New York that wasn't putting the negative (laughs) on the analyzer. He's saying, how can I process negative and not know my, 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 my exposure range from the lights, regardless of whether or not I'm printing? Right. And and he was going a little nuts on him and saying, "I'll get you an analyzer. I own one, which he actually ironic. He does. He does. Yeah, bought all the machines from the last lab in New York that I worked for. It's a very um, Ed thing to do. Yeah, he was, he was so crazy. It was wonderful. But dude,
1: like you got that poster over your right shoulder, the Black
0: Swan, right? Black Swan, baby.
1: I I said I I begged Joey V, who was already retired. I think Joey. Um, if you could do me one favor and, and I don't I'm not I don't wanna print. I, if you could just read my negative on an analyzer for me and tell me what my lights are after I test, I'd be really appreciative. And you know what? He fucking did it. That's right. You no know, did it. He came back into town, read the shit on an analyzer, and like I mean, that was like, you know, that's what I'm talking about. I said that, that relationship with the lab was something really precious. Like Like we had a bond that was beyond. Like directors were part of the two, but nobody else, you
0: know. Nobody. Yeah, but the but but there was no, there was no version of Video Village, when you shot film, where they were looking at something with whatever you know base lot applied, allowed them to see what was getting captured. They it was there was a shorthand. And you were able to be a magician when there was film, when the film came back.
1: Yeah, the alchemy, the alchemy, it's
0: what it was, man. Yeah, we, it, we was. Missed it was alchemy. the alchemy process was. And and you know, for me, you know, we we, we continue on with 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 uh, advancements in technology, and 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 thank God, uh, uh, we we do have great tools and great capabilities to be able to do. What we want to do working with with great colorists like we've worked with and like you've worked with over the years, my old colleague Tim and and of course the people that you've worked with over at, at any of the, the various uh, facilities that you've been with over the years. And they like Tim Stippen was amazing, Joe Galler's amazing,
1: Stefan Sonfeld's amazing, Steve Scott's amazing, Mitch Paulson's amazing, you know, I mean, there's a shit ton and there's Tom Poole, there's like, dude, we got superstars. And they, know, your,
0: and they become your collaborators in a way that the lab timer and the, was was not at the same level of the detail of the the journey.
1: I I, I, I disagree. Chris Regan was my favorite uh, color timer back in the day. He was a deluxe. Chris Regan, would, he's Chris a great yeah. color timer. Loved him. And then uh, uh, you know there's a uh, uh, Lee Weimer at Technicolor. Yeah. And um, oh, you know, yeah. I mean. You know, we did the same shit. Like, you know, no, we couldn't isolate shit. But dude, like, if if you put any of the colors we just talked about, bless them, they're fucking talented, and sat there and we didn't get to stop shit and look at it, yeah, and we just talked about you know points of magenta and points of you know.
0: I mean, you that talk- was in a hard form. Yeah, you 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 talked about how how to how to implement. Uh, uh, all of your color and, and range changes and that's when we used to color. match cuts.
1: Oh. Yeah, that's when we used to match
0: cuts because yeah. that's
1: when we used to watch it. We used to watch it straight through, and we were just talking about how cuts would match. Right, that was the that was basically the everything was embedded. We shot things more precisely. Exactly,
0: that's what I'm talking about. We with shot things more precisely, cuts. and then that we would the just crap. match cuts. Going back to the same statement I made before, with my 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 favorite conversation with Talk when I worked with him on uh, on in the on, negative. On, talking, <laughs> in the negative, dude. Don't talk <laughs> to me. Don't talk to me. And I, and I don't. And if HBO wants to do something, have, tell them to have fun. They've got all the range they need. And and I, I would, love that. Well,
1: you know uh, uh, people probably wouldn't say this, but one of my favorite films in cinematography was Devil in a Blue Dress, which he shot, and it was a, a masterclass in. Um, And, like, it's like he didn't, you know, he probably didn't connect with the culture of the time, probably didn't connect with the time. Tak Fujimoto killed that movie. Watch it. It stands the test of time. Watch Devil in the Blue Dress. It stands the test of time. Like, he invoked uh, people like um, uh, Chris Menjis and fucking Jack Carter and fucking uh, Peter Bijou all the way to Roger Deakins. Like the guy is, he killed that movie. There's not one mistake in it from a lighting standpoint.
0: And, and for cinematography, what is your, what, I mean, we can never really say because we have so many, what our favorite moments and our favorite uh, 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 cinematography work, not even just cinematographers, but work that we've seen. What, what, what bl- has blown your mind over the years that you go back to and say, God, that that was, that was an inspiration for me? Then I could watch over and over again? Yeah. Roads of Perdition?
1: Connie Hall? And I was going to say this when we were talking about Ed. Like, Ed is an unsung Connie Hall. He really is. Like, Connie did American Beauty. Towards the end, he did American Beauty and Roads of Perdition, right? Ed's the same way. Like, he just reinvents himself masters his craft and he's mastered his craft. He's a master. Like that, 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 title doesn't go to many people. He's an absolute master. Right. And, um, uh, and Connie was an absolute master. You know, uh, uh I think, um, I think about movies that just blow me away every time, and that's one that blows me away all the time. From a lighting standpoint and light quality standpoint and the quality of light standpoint. But it's hard to say. You know, there's a lot of people it's I appreciate right now. I love, I love Bradford. I love what Bradford does. I, I love what Greg Frazier does. Like, people who are uh, maybe uh, half a generation behind me, right? I love what they do. Love what they do. And then there's always, I love what everything Chris does, like Doyle. I, I love everything sure. Chris does. Yeah, and Harris is a genius. Harris and Johnny Vescoffier are in a special category for me. I don't know if you ever worked with Jean-Yves, but Johnny, I mean, both
0: Jean-Yves and the, the late Jean-Yves and the late Harris Davidus were both who passed through my way. I mean,
1: they just it gives me chills. Their work is fucking phenomenal, and of course, Darius, Darius, and Derek, you know, uh, Darius, both of them,
0: and also uh, okay. uh, one one—it's interesting, you know. With Kaminsky, he had so many things that were done constantly with with Spielberg or the same directors. But then when he did Diving Bell with with Julian, right. oh my God, what a beautiful thing to watch with variable shutter and the and the and the image of of capturing eyesight for the for the main character. Brilliant, beautifully done, right? I'm going to say,
1: I mean, Janusz uh, uh, doesn't get enough credit for being as inventive as he is. And, yeah. and Janusz, uh, uh Janusz, and, and I, I want to uh, shout out to Chivo and Rodrigo as well. You know, those guys, God, I love them. And then I, you know, I, I I, like that, you know, in my mind, like my generation, it's like, uh, me and Rodrigo, and it's, uh, Seamus, and yeah. it's, uh, uh, Alvin Kuchler. You know, these guys, I love these dudes. It's like, I, they, they just, they, they bring it, you know what I mean, every time. And I love Ellen, you know, Ellen's just like, Right. It's just like, I, I, there's so many cinematographers I appreciate. I fucking, I just follow, you know, as a fan of them. I, I, you know, it's just, everybody's pushing the fucking craft forward. That's what we do. You know, that's what we do. You know, and now you got, you got Rachel and you got Reed and Reed's directing now, but you got directing these people. You know, yeah. I, I love Natasha Briere uh, Briar, and I, I love her and like what she does. It's like the the image and uh, and the kid in Chase Urban, who did uh spice movie. Like there's a bunch of people I really really love coming up. And, uh, yeah. yeah, younger and older and at my age, I'm like, I mean, the craft is like, dude, we are vibrant, man. We got a deep bench.
0: We have a deep bench. No, we really do. the The work that you did with 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 Bradley uh, Cooper on *Stars Born*. Talk a little bit about the the scenes that you shot when you're when they're going on stage and the lights coming right at you. Those things, those scenes are just magical. Um, and how you handled that was, how you handled those, those shots and those scenes and how you did that, that was so beautiful.
1: You know, the funny thing is we had to figure out a language of the light uh, for the stage stuff because we, we started at Coachella where we were given a stage that already had lighting. So we had to evaluate what they had and use what we needed to use. And then, um, and that was day stuff, so it wasn't as important. But then we had to mix it in with some night stuff when we shot at Coachella, and some night stuff when we shot a stagecoach, and um, and then we also, you know, Bradley and I went to uh, probably the greatest music festival in the world, Glastonbury, and um, and that also was just like you know, found footage. Really, it's just like a, it, it, it was an atmosphere. But so for us, it was like re-engineering, it's just sort of engineering what we did artificially to fit within the, what we knew we were gonna be involved in. So uh, it was hard because, you know, Bradley had this idea, rightly so, to put the camera on stage only because it was really a subjective, subjective experience between uh, Jack Maine and Al, right? And those two characters, it had to be subjected to them so that there was no need from a, for a, an angle from
0: an audience point of view. Right, right, right. You were, you were, you were on stage with them. You were, you were yeah. with them while they were performing.
1: So, Matt, like, but to design a stage and to communicate to the crew, we had to design a, um, a, a, a sort of a lighting concept that would be that would work in a proscenium sense because that's how everybody thinks. And then really like, it was about lowering the lights so the lights would be in this shot when we got down, When we, because we knew where the camera was gonna be. So it was like a two-step process of actually designing the lighting rigs of, um, of each stage and each performance from a view that we'll never see in the movie. And then, augmenting it and doing a second draft where we would lower the lights so that we knew that those ang- those lights would be in the shot when we uh, when we photographed the uh, actors so that was like a it was kind of a you know but that you know that that goes to prep that goes to like experience that goes to like you know uh, um, understanding how your crew thinks and understanding where the camera's going to be and being able to um being able to uh, uh, articulate those things and just being patient with trying to create those, if that makes any sense. It's just, I, I, you know, I knew I wasn't going to sit there and uh, tell a long story to my dimmer board operator or my rigging grip and gaffer about where the camera was going to be. And I didn't want to anticipate that. I just, I just wanted to design something as if the audience was going to see it and it was going to be, uh, give me some variety and give, give a good, like, authentic, live show but then right. lower those lights so that they hit the lights
0: right because you really you, the vibe was was so much like you know you're 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 almost a a character on stage when you're shooting you're you're in there you're in the scene you're i, I felt like i was in the band Literally, <laughs> like you're in the band yeah i felt like i was in the band it was amazing amazing experience. <laughs> yeah absolutely and and so recently you 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 wrapped a project that I'm I'm less familiar with uh, the last stuff that you shot, which was, which was this film Birds of Prey. Uh, it, I I didn't get a chance to see it. Talk a little bit about that.
1: You no, know, Birds of Prey was a uh, uh, I wanted to work with this director who she uh, Kathy Ann. She had made a film called Dead Pigs, which was like uh, I thought was uh, superbly crafted in terms of multiple characters within the same film, all coming together at the end, and, like, and, and, and there was a payoff. It was a well-written script, but it was really well-directed. And the cinematography was stellar um, and appropriate for the screenplay. And I, uh, you know, sometimes I, I, I'm, maybe I'm not like the other guys, I, I like that spectacle of the big movie, the big stupid like uh, entertainment movie, the popcorn movie, and um, and who doesn't love Margot Robbie? You know, and, and want right. to be around Margot Robbie. So, like, it's the same thing with Venom. Like when I when I uh, I was in the DI for Mother, which is a polar opposite from Venom. Absolutely. And I'm meaning and I you know, I wanted to make a Venom. Like I had missed uh, my work with I missed I missed John Favreau. I missed that big superhero movie and I wanted to get back to it just because I did enjoy it as a person, you know? And, uh, um, the same way I I, I yearn to go back to something small. Sometimes I yearn to go back to something big, you know, right? Uh, It does. It's not as emotional for me, but it, it satisfies another part of me and who I am that I love that spectacle. I love the uh, fact that it may have the potential to reach a huge audience, and I, I like that. You know, I, I'm not. I have no. Um, maybe they they step outside of the realm of art. You know, but we
0: would we would we would be remiss if, with this poster hanging over my head, we didn't talk once about Black Swan. So we should talk. You did. About, well, a little bit, but 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 in terms of of what that was what that experience was like i mean you were you were shooting 16 and 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 really crafting something that involved a lot of movement and 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 it was and it was so elegant and so crisp and so beautiful and talk a little bit about about the making of black swan and 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 and, and, and what that was like for you to do that film
1: Uh, You know, uh, it was a a perfect time in um, our uh, collaboration, because uh, we had taken a break from each other on The Wrestler, as you know. Mm -hmm. And The Fountain was a really hard movie, and there was a lot going on in my life, and there was a lot going on in his life. And, and, uh, you know, uh, admittedly, we didn't get along so well. And uh, The Wrestler was a good break, and he was able to reinvent himself from the uh box office failures of the fountain, although both of us love that movie, you know, yeah. and I love that movie. But um I get a call from Rachel Weiss, who would you know that was Darren's partner at the time. And um she's like, I want you to come to Darren's surprise 40th birthday party. And I was like, oh cool. So I fly out there and um I hang out in New York for a bit. And uh, after his birthday party he was surprised I was there. Um, they wanted me to roast him, but I just didn't, you know, we were at a place where I'm not going to roast this kid right now. I'm not going to do that. But um, it was, I was just, my pres- you know, I was just there. You know, I wanted to be there for him for his birthday. And, um, you know, that week we just we walked around Manhattan together, like the old days. We just literally walked around Manhattan in the old days and we were talking about Black Swan. And we were in a good place. We were both older than we were when last time we saw each other and worked together. So uh, it was free, you know? And it was a, it was a script that was like, it could have easily gone wrong, really, you know, Charlie. It, it could have been, shit, that could have been like a disaster genre, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right on. Thriller. But, um, you know, I look, I don't trust anybody. I mean, I, there's, there's, I, I trust Spike. I trust Darren, like, even if i have doubts about something that's in the screenplay i trust them to fix it right and um i'm looking at the script and thinking this could easily be something that's just like a genre movie that anybody can make but i know that darren's going to do something right he's going to have a plan for it and then we just had an open like like we went back to who we were when we were younger but we were older people and it was cool like so I guess what I'm saying is when I made the film, I had no pressure. I, I didn't put any pressure on myself. It wasn't heavy lifting. It's like I took what we got. It's like uh, that old saying of like uh, uh, stay within yourself. That's all I did, you know, and I learned some shit from that. You know, I, I, that's when I started to uh, understand how to mix color before LEDs. You know, uh, we shot at SUNY Purchase for a lot of the performances and um, we didn't have the money to change the lighting. Like, I was going to use what they had and I just picked and choose what we were going to use and what we weren't going to use. And then I just came up with a, uh, an idea that we would gel some, you know, we had psych strips. And if anybody out there who listens to this knows what a psych strip is, it's basically 1K, 1K tungsten lights on a, a 12 strip. Uh, so you got 12,000 watts of light with 1K each on 12 different little uh, channels, right? So I said, well, if we wire them in a certain way so we can control them, then why don't we do a red, a green, a white, a red, a green, and white? And we just said, offset it all. And then I'd start mixing color. And then most of those performances you see at the end in the third act, that's how it was done. We, we just, I just I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself because I was just paying attention to um, – I was paying more attention to Darren. I was paying more attention to Natalie. I was, I was less of a – it's I, I kind of grew there you know I I stopped, I stopped being a DP solely and I started paying attention to other shit.
0: Cool, and, and and you know it's interesting. I remember being at the premiere uh, uh, for Mother, which I, I didn't I was already out of of, of being in the post world at that point. But I had worked on 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 you know certainly on a whole bunch of stuff for Darren along those years, and I and it occurred to me even though I've never talked about it with Darren directly, that, that, that mother was sort of part of a trilogy in a sense. And I don't know if this was ever discussed story wise, but if you think about Requiem, Black Swan and mother, there, there are some, there's the thread. Yeah. Isn't there? I mean, it's kind of weird, but there's a, there's, there's a thread of, of the, of, of some type of, you know, in, in Requiem, you have the, the, the uh uh is it the ellen ellen burston ellen burston right the mother right and then in in black swan you have uh, the mother was played by i forget who 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 played uh, uh it was uh barbara hershey barbara hershey right and and then we and then we get you know to mother and and you're dealing with different aspects of of some common thread it's fascinating that and he and he and he and I actually watched. I ended up watching Mother twice because I went to the premiere both in in Toronto and in New York, and really lynched onto it. in the second screening it was like, oh, I, I I I see what he wanted to do here, and what and what he would and how he wanted to reach the audience. He was very funny when he would introduce it because he would always say, you know, you're, you may not like me after you watch this. You always start that way. Yeah, <laughs> very funny. And and I, I thought it was wonderful. It was like, because he acknowledged that he had made a film that was going to be very challenging for people to watch. Yeah. But, uh, uh, such an incredible achievement.
1: You know, he's, uh, um, you know, he's enigmatic, to say the least. You know what I mean? You know, and you know him personally, I, you know, and he's just, he's pretty much a normal guy. Right? Yeah. But his ideas are, um, you know, uh, special. You know what I mean? He's a very unique person the way he thinks. And, um, like, we've always had high goals for ourselves in
0: our lives in terms of how we went about our careers. Well, when I, when I go back to Requiem, and I think about that time, I, I think around that time that Requiem was out, the movie, I think it was the movie Traffic that came out. And, oh, yeah. Right? Okay. And I remember going to Requiem and walking out, and it was almost like what I experienced when I left Oliver Stone's The Doors. I felt like I had been on a drug trip. It was so, it was so immersive, right? Right. Does well, that it worked, yeah, and
1: that's a good way to put it. It was immersive. It brought you into um, the language and atmosphere of the movie, right? And that's all we've ever tried to do, is do that. Like, that's all we've ever tried to do. Like, what I do is not just light. It's just trying to create an atmosphere. And light services the atmosphere, you know, I'm not trying to beautify anything, uh, and I learned that we've learned all that shit together. You know? Yeah, cool. we've we've learned all that shit together, and um, and uh, you know, I appreciate that. That's why I like you know, I stop everything for him.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah! Incredible, incredible life, man. We get we we're, we're we're lucky folks, but well, we've also known each other for so goddamn long. You know, that's so true. So many years, so many years. So many we, could
1: actually, years. Uh, we could actually sit there and go, oh, remember that time. You know,
0: it's incredible. Like, incredible. How did it happen?
1: How, how did we get here? How come it went so
0: fast? How come it went so fast? Exactly, exactly. Well, Maddie, I, 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 think, we, I think we've covered the, the, the gamut. Uh, I don't think we've missed too much. Um. Unless, unless there's something that I missed, but this has been absolutely wonderful, brother.
1: No, bro. Uh, you know, it was great talking to you. Like, like I said, you are the perfect person to do this. You're perfect. Person. <laughs> when I heard about this shit, I was like, I want to be a part of it. Like, Charlie, what the hell? Like, what about me? I want to be in. I'm in. You know?
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, and and you know. Uh, 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 Stay close. Stay safe. I you love too. you. And, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, I, I, I look forward to the moment where we can all be in the same room together again soon. Amen. Amen. Hopefully. Love Hopefully you, tune in later. Talk to you, man. All right. All right, brother. Be good. Thank you. Good. Ciao.